This morning we're going to be doing the hymn, Rescue the Perishing. Uh, so if we'll read that in just a, a minute or so. So it's number 671 in the blue hymnal there, if you want to take a look at that. Uh, but this hymn is a soul winner's hymn. Uh, this is a great song to help us see the need to go out and tell others about Jesus. It's a great song to help us see the need for Christians to go and try to rescue the perishing. I've also learned this morning about a wonderful lady that desired to serve God even with a physical handicap, and she let nothing stand in the way of her serving God. So, number 671 in that blue hymnal, uh, Rescue the Perishing. I'm going to read this to you. You can follow along as I read it to you. We'll sing it later at the end like we always do, but uh, first I'll just read it to you. It says, Rescue the Perishing. Care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. And then the chorus is, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Verse 2, though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Verse 3, down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, fillings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that are broken will vibrate once more. And the last verse, number 4, rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for the labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Uh, so I'm going to look at the background of this hymn first, the, the history of Rescue the Perishing, and that will start with the background of Fanny Crosby, the author of, this, of the words to this hymn. And many of us might already know uh, some information about uh, Fanny Crosby. She was uh, not unknown like uh, so many other hymn authors that we've looked at uh, in our hymn studies. Uh, she's somewhat well-known. Fanny Crosby was born in New York in 1820. She became blind at the age of just six weeks old. So she was born with sight and she was then uh, became blind at six weeks old because of maltreatment of her eyes during uh, a sickness that actually just started off as a cold. Um, and the way that they treated her for it and how it progressed, it caused her to go blind at six weeks old. Now, at the age of 15, she entered the New York Institute for the Blind, uh, where she received a good education. She became a teacher in the Institute in 1847, and she continued her work there until March 1st, 1858. She taught English, grammar, and American history, and you can see how teaching English and grammar would help her greatly in writing uh, the hymn, Rescue the Perishing, and many other things that she wrote. Uh, during the vacation periods of 1852 and 1853, she wrote the words to many songs for Dr. G.F. Root. Uh, he was then the teacher of music at the Blind Institute where she was at. Uh, she also wrote the words for the cantatas at the school there. Uh, this is uh, her attitude about her handicap. This is what she says. Uh, she says that it, if it had not been for her affliction... She might not have had so good an education, nor so great an influence, and certainly not so fine a memory. 
That is her attitude about what she calls as her affliction. Uh, she did not sit and complain about her affliction. She did not stay at home and do nothing. Uh, she did not use it as a reason or excuse to not serve God. She was thankful for the affliction. She sees how God used it to get her to where she needs to be. She doesn't complain about being blind. She thanks God for the opportunity to be blind and be able to be molded into the servant that God needed her to be. She believes that this blindness helped her, not that it held her back like we might see it. She sees how God used it to get her to the, uh, the exact education that she needed and the experience that she needed to be able to serve him the way that he needed. Uh, she's seen how this affliction helped her in other areas, such as her memory. Uh, she knew a great many portions of the Bible by heart. She committed to memory the first four books of the Bible, of the Old Testament, and the four Gospels. Uh, so her memory was very sharp. Uh, she wanted to serve God, and she did not let anything stop her. Uh, may we all desire to serve God like that and to have a resolve to use everything to aid us in our service to him. We know Fanny Crosby for her authorship of some of the great hymns that we sing, but she did not start writing these hymns until she was about 40 years old. So it's not something she did her entire life, uh, something she picked up along the way. Uh, she used, from the age of 40, she used the next 55 years to serve God in many ways, but most notably in writing hymns. Uh, so by the time of her death at 95 years old, Fanny Crosby wrote more than 8,000 hymn texts. Uh, and, and she also wrote many other things, uh, such as some Sunday school materials. And she liked to write letters to uh, Christians that were hurting and try to encourage them as well. So she did many things for God uh, to serve him. Now, history of rescue, the perishing specifically, uh, just like Fanny Crosby liked to do, she wrote about the events that led to the writing of this hymn. Uh, so instead of me telling you what happened, I'm going to read you what she wrote about what happened. Uh, so she writes, in the year of 1869, many of my hymns were written after experiences working with the New York Mission. I was addressing a large company of working men one hot summer evening when the thought kept forcing itself on my mind that some mother's boy must be rescued that night or maybe not at all. So I made a pressing plea that if there was a boy present who had wandered from his mother's home and from her teachings, that he should come to me at the end of the service. A young man of 18 came forward and said, did you mean me? Uh, I promised my mother to meet her in heaven, but as I am now living, that would be impossible. We prayed with him and he finally arose with a new light in his eyes, and he exclaimed in triumph, Now I can meet my mother in heaven, for I have found God. Now, a few days before this, Mr. Doan had sent me a, and we'll talk about him in a minute, but uh, he sent me a theme for a new song, Rescue the Perishing. While I sat in the mission that evening, the line came to me, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. Uh, I could not think of n anything else that night, when I arrived home, I went to work at the hymn at once, and before I retired, it was ready for the melody. This song was first published in 1870 in Doan's Songs of Devotions. Uh, so that's how it got written. She was serving God, and God 
used a situation like that to show her words to a hymn that someone else gave her the, the title to, the topic to. Uh, so God kind of just pulled it all together that night for her. Um, the hymn, Rescue the Perishing, has music written by Mr. Doan. He was a close friend uh, to Fanny Crosby, and they worked together on many songs and hymns. Uh, Mr. Dome was very active in serving God in his church, where he served as the Sunday school superintendent and the choir director. Uh, so that's the background portion of the hymn. So now I want to talk about the spiritual message in Rescue the Perishing. Uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 23. Uh, this hymn comes from inspiration from this verse, uh, Luke 14:23. It says in Luke 14:23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Now Jesus was telling a parable of a great banquet. Uh, this was on the Sabbath day, and Jesus had just asked the Pharisees if it was lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath day. Then Jesus went on to heal a man, and he says in verse 5, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Uh, Jesus was showing the Pharisees that they need to care for and help uh, and, and, and love those in need even on the Sabbath day because their law said you couldn't do certain things on the Sabbath day. And Jesus was pointing out that if you love them, you will help them when they're in need. Uh, Jesus tells them then of a great banquet and how the host invited many people to his feast. And now when it was time for the banquet to happen, those that were invited, they say in uh, Luke 14, 18, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. Uh, there was many that had excuses to not come. Uh, really, it sounds like many Christians today, we make so many excuses and we try to make them sound really, really good. Uh, but if we compare them to uh, people in the Bible that desire to meet with Jesus, they won't sound so good. We could think about the man with the dropsy in the beginning of this very chapter, Luke 14. He certainly had an excuse to stay home. Uh, he had a physical ailment there, uh, but he didn't. He went to go meet with Jesus. How about the man sick of the palsy in Mark chapter 2? He had an excuse to stay home, but again, he didn't. He went and met with Jesus. Uh, how about the woman in Luke uh, 13 with the disabling spirit? Jesus was in the synagogue, and she was there too. She had an excuse to stay home, but she didn't. She wanted to go meet Jesus. Uh, I remember uh, going with my dad in the church we grew up in, uh, I grew up in, I had for a while a handicap bus, and we had the ability to go pick up people that were in wheelchairs, and it, you know, it would lift them into the bus, and we could take them uh, to church that way. And I remember going with my dad every single service. Uh, we, there was... Uh, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we did Wednesday evening services over there. And I remember every single service going with my dad, and uh, we'd go to this nursing home area, uh, and uh, this lady would be sitting out there every single service, and she'd be uh, ready for us to come pick her up and bring her to church. Now, she, she could have stayed home. Uh, she could have uh, said that it was too much work. Uh, for her to get out there on her wheelchair and wait there, even in the winter. She was, she just had her coat on, she bundled up, and she was just sitting there, even in the snow in the winter. 
Uh, she, she could have said that she was too tired or the church wasn't built good enough for her to roll around on her uh, wheelchair. She could have said the little tiny bathrooms. I mean, they were little, they, they, these things looked like mansions <laughs> compared to the bathrooms in the church. I grew. They remodeled and it's much bigger now. But I mean, it was like you open the door and you're hitting everything with the door. It was tiny. Uh, but she could have said that, you know, she couldn't go because of the wheel, because of the wheelchair not fitting in the bathrooms. She could have even said that it was too much work for us. You know, me and my dad had to go pick her up and, and it took a little while. You had to lower the, the thing down and get her on there, strap her on and then lift it up and then get her in there. And you had to bolt her down to the ground so she didn't roll around as we were driving and stuff. And it was a little bit of work. Uh, but yeah, she, she didn't complain about any of that. She came every single service. She was so faithful. She was one of the more faithful people uh, in the church, even though she had a physical ailment, something that could have stopped her. Uh, these people I mentioned from the Bible and this lady uh, and many others uh, know how important, how precious it is to meet with Jesus. Now, that's a message all in itself, and but I couldn't not bring that up. So let's move on this morning. And this message is really about going to try to reach more people and tell more people, the ones that need Jesus, going to try to get them. Uh, that is what Jesus is telling this parable for in Luke 14. Uh, Jesus is showing us that we need to go out and we need to find the ones that need Jesus. And that is exactly what Fanny Crosby did that night in that New York mission back in 1869. She knew that someone there needed Jesus. Uh, we need to go out and find the ones that need Jesus. By doing so, we will then be rescuing the perishing. Uh, so I want to look at the first verse again of the hymn. It says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll start in verse 55. It says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." So. Sin is the problem. Sin is sending millions to the grave. Uh, sin was sending me to the grave, an eternal grave, until I found Jesus. Until someone saw a poor, lost sinner perishing and took the time to rescue me with the love of Jesus. At that point, I was snatched from the grave because of what Jesus did and because someone was willing to tell me about it. Uh, we should see perishing souls when we go out about our days. We should see these souls and desire to snatch them from that grave. Uh, wh why do we not do that? Why, why do we not rescue the perishing every time? Uh, I think the answer is in the next phrase of the song. It says, weep over the erring one. Uh, when is the last time we wept over dying souls? Lost souls that are perishing. Uh, have, have we ever wept over them? Uh, or, or do we not even really think about them that much? I think if we stopped and thought about this, 
Uh, if we stopped and thought about the poor lost soul and how they're walking right into an eternal death and how they may never, uh, you know, if, if we don't do something, they may not get another chance to escape that death, that eternal death and that lake of fire. If we were to stop and think about this from time to time, maybe we might realize the seriousness of the situation. Maybe we might realize the sadness of the situation. Maybe we might weep over these lost souls, and that might help us to do something about it. Uh, the next phrase says, lift up the falling. Ecclesiastes 4.10, it says, if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. Now, we are that fellow. If you're a child of God, if you have a saving faith and believe in Jesus Christ, uh, we are that fellow. We have the knowledge of Jesus and salvation, and we could tell them of Jesus who came to save them. Uh, we are the fellow that can help lift up the fallen. We can literally lift them out of the path that is leading them to death and hell, and we can lift them onto the path of righteousness through Jesus Christ. And that would lead to a wonderful life and eternity with God. We are the fellow. Uh, we can lift them up. We are not alone, uh, and they are not alone, unless we don't do anything. Uh, they would be alone if we don't do anything. If we let them fall, if we just leave them there. Uh, there's a, a movie, and I'm, I won't say the name because it, it's got a lot of words in it and stuff that I don't appreciate, so... I don't want to promote the movie, but there's a movie, and this guy, he's basically a, a hero. He works uh, in the service, and he's, he's basically a hero, and everybody looks up to him. And uh, so he has to go and save people that are drowning out in the ocean, that kind of thing. And uh, so he uh, goes out on, uh, on one of this, these rescue trips, these emergency trips, and he has to go down, and he gets the person, and he pulls them out of the water, and he hooks himself up to the hoist for the helicopter, and they start hoisting them up, and the, the hoist breaks, and they're dangling in the middle of the air. And so this guy, uh, the, everyone in the helicopter is telling him to drop the person, and maybe we can pull you up kind of thing. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't drop the person. He held on to the person the entire time. They had to fly a couple miles back uh, to get back, and uh, he wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go of that person. He he knew the seriousness of uh, of if I let go, if 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 I just give up, then they will die. He knew that they were uh, tired enough that they couldn't swim anymore. Uh, that if he let go, they would die. So he held on. He did everything he could to help save that dying person. We need to be willing to give it everything we have to rescue the perishing. Uh, we need to care more about those dying souls. It's up to us. We are the fellow that can lift them up. Now, verse 1 of this hymn tells us how we need to rescue the perishing. Verse 2 tells us that Jesus is waiting for souls to come to them, to come to him. Verse 2, it says, Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if only they believe. It says, though they are slighting him, still he is waiting. Jesus has uh, so much love and patience. Even though sinners don't care about him, and some say some real nasty things about him, and some wouldn't give Jesus even a second of their time, even though all of that, Jesus is still waiting for them. Uh, now, before uh, we get so self-righteous here, we are just like this before we accepted Jesus too. We didn't treat Jesus with the honor and respect he deserves before 
we got saved, uh, just like those sinners uh, now are, don't respect and honor Jesus. Uh, some, um, even some believers don't honor and respect Jesus either, but again, that's something else for another day. Uh, Jesus still loves them anyways. Uh, the point is that Jesus, even though some may hate him, uh, and it's, it's hard to imagine that. We love Jesus so much, it's hard to even comprehend how someone uh, could be so uh, evil towards Jesus or say the things they do towards Jesus, but it's true, it happens. Uh, even though some treat the name of Jesus the way they do, Jesus is still patiently waiting for them because he loves them. And this verse also says, plead with them earnestly. Uh, again, are we doing that? Are we earnestly pleading with the lost souls to get saved? Earnestly means uh, eagerly and with real desire. Uh, is that how we tell Jesus? Are we pleading with them eagerly? And do we have a real desire to plead with them about Jesus? Uh, I worked with a man that was, uh, he said he was atheist. He didn't believe in God. He said there is no God and creation's, uh, you know, dumb and all these things. And, and so I, you know, I can't even remember how the conversation came up, but I had the opportunity to tell him about God. and He brought up the whole creation thing. So I started all the way back in Genesis and I said, this is how God created the whole world. And then I talked about sin and I said how sin keeps you out of heaven. And I talked about how Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sin and how much Jesus loves you. And if you just trust Jesus, and I quoted verses out of Romans to him and I told him the whole thing, he still rejected God and it's sad and I pray that maybe someone else reached him. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever run into him again, but uh, I pray that he accepts Jesus someday. But uh, I was pleading with him. I was I was giving it all I got. I was trying to think of anything I could think of. Uh, I was doing anything I could. I told him uh, things in my life that happened that only God could have put together, and, and none of it mattered to him. But I was pleading and I was eagerly and I. I trying to tell him about Jesus. Uh, are we doing that every day? Uh, we need to plead with everyone who is lost. We need to help them believe. Now, I don't mean yelling at them, even though this guy said some real nasty, wicked things about God and Jesus, and I was hurt because that's my Jesus, and I don't want you saying anything about my Jesus, but I didn't yell at him. I didn't fight with him. Uh, I see that all the time. Uh, some um, Christians think that they just need to yell at people and tell them how they're wrong and, 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 you know, hurt people in that way. And it's just not right. Uh, but the next phrase tells us how we should plead with the lost. It says, plead with them gently, yelling at the lost, calling them names, embarrassing them, uh, hurting them. That will not help them except Jesus. Uh, in fact, it may make them not even give Jesus a chance after being treated that way by someone who calls themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus. We need to plead with them for sure, but we need to do it gently and with care. We need to pay attention to how they feel and what they may be thinking and how we can say the right things at the right time. Uh, we should never be yelling at them when telling them of the love of Jesus. What, what sense does that even make anyways? I can't yell at my wife how much I love her and, and scream at her. It, it just doesn't work. Uh, wouldn't be received very well, for sure. Uh, so why would we be yelling at somebody else while trying to tell them how much Jesus loved them and that Jesus died for them? And it doesn't work. Uh, we should never be name-calling to these people or hurtful to the lost. If we truly love the lost, we wouldn't do any of that. The problem is, I don't think uh, sometimes 
Christians love the lost. They just love telling the lost that they're wrong. And that's not helpful. That is not going to get them to accept Jesus. Jesus is waiting for them. If we plead with them, but we take great care in it and, and, and love them, then just maybe that will help them believe Jesus. And then Jesus can save them because Jesus is waiting for them. Now look at verse 3. It says, Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feeling feelings lied, buried that grace can restore, touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that are broken will vibrate once more. Uh, this verse talks of how it is in our creative being to love Jesus. But that feeling has been crushed. The first phrase says, down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. It's referring to sin that Satan has helped spread throughout creation and how that distorted view and and our feelings are, are naturally crushed then. God did create perfect humans. Uh, we're descended uh, descendants from those that perfect creation. We're not perfect now. They uh, sinned and we've sinned. Uh, but we were created with perfect feelings when at creation. When Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, uh, listen to what the Bible calls Satan. It says in Matthew 4, 3, it says, When the tempter came to him, calls uh, Satan the tempter. Uh, he, Satan is the tempter. He, he wants to twist everything up. He wants everything uh, God created to be the opposite of what it was. Uh, this is why we're told that in the end of times that right will be wrong and wrong will be right. And it seems like we're pretty much almost there. Uh, Satan or the tempter is trying to twist up our thoughts and, and twist up our feelings also. He's done everything he can to crush our natural desire that was put in us uh, to love our creator. Now, the rest of verse three talks about a kind soul with a loving heart doing their part to touch the broken soul and help them find harmony with Jesus again. Uh, look at John chapter one. John chapter one, verse 37. It says, and the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and say, saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode there with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Uh, that is love. That is kindness. Andrew showed his brother uh, the greatest kindness he could. He, he ran to his brother and told him about Jesus and then brought him to Jesus. That's what we need to do. We need to run out and find the lost and tell them about Jesus. Now go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 28. It says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved 
and thy house. Now, this is uh, Paul and Silas when they were wrongfully thrown in jail. And uh, they could have been very angry about being wrongfully thrown in jail. They could have been very upset. They could have been mean and rude with the guy that was in charge of them there in the jail. Uh, Paul could have sat back and the, the guy, uh, the jailer, was about to just end his own life. And Paul stopped him from doing that. Paul could have just sat back and, and did nothing at all. But he didn't. Paul spoke in kindness with a loving heart. And he made it uh, this Kindness and this loving heart made it possible to tell the man and his whole house about salvation. Um, and it's all because of the kindness that he showed them. And because of that kindness, they were all able to be saved that day. Uh, now, we all know the saying that you can catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Uh, and that might be kind of a silly saying, but there's much truth to that. We cannot go out and say vinegar words to the lost. We cannot go out and have vinegar actions towards lost souls and expect them to accept Jesus after that. These lost souls need love and they need kindness. They need to see the love and kindness of Jesus that's in us. Now let's look at this uh, last verse of this song here. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for the laborer the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer, a Savior has died. Uh, this last verse focuses on our duty to rescue the perishing and how the Lord will provide the strength that is needed. We see at the start of this last verse that it is our duty to go out and try to rescue the perishing. Now, Fanny Crosby, she did just that. And she was blind. She had uh, an excuse there. She she had a hardship that she had to overcome, but she didn't let that stop her. She kept on serving God anyways. Uh, we're left here on earth after salvation to tell others about Jesus. Romans 10.14 says, uh, tell, tell, it tells us that lost souls cannot accept Jesus if they have not heard about Jesus. Then in Romans there, it tells us to go out and tell others about Jesus. God wants us to go and tell others about Jesus. That is one of the most important jobs we can do here on earth uh, before we go to heaven. And until that day comes, we should be trying to do just that. Uh, this last verse of Rescue the Perishing tells us to uh, patiently go out and win the loss. Now, this may take time. This may be hard. It may wear us down, but none of that matters because the Lord will be our strength. It's not in ourselves to do it. It's, it's in God's strength. Uh, Psalms 28, 7, it says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. And there's many other verses uh, that tells us that the Lord is our strength. We don't need to rely on ourselves. It doesn't matter how tired we are. We only need to try, and the Lord will give us the strength that we need. Uh, we have to be willing. We have to try to rescue the perishing. If Fanny Crosby didn't plead for that lost soul that night, then he would have never given his life to Jesus that day. His life was changed forever because someone was willing to plead for his soul. Someone was willing to rescue the perishing. 